Oh, if you got your Bible with you, open up Psalm 89, and we'll <clears throat> take a journey through uh, Ethan the Ezraite. Uh, some people place him back in Solomon's court, but because of the context of the psalm, uh, most scholars think that it's much later probably during the time uh, of the exile of the children of Israel after Babylon has taken them into captivity. And I think you'll see that as we look, that that seems to be um, somewhat obvious. As the writer uh, rehearses the covenants or the promises of God and then has a question about what's happening now. Let's take a look at it. He begins, Psalm 89, I will sing... Of the mercies of the Lord forever. Again, when we come to that word, mercies, loving kindness, we're talking about the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed is a, is a word most closely in the Hebrew that relates to the word agape in the Greek. It's a, in the Greek, it's a self-sacrificing love, a love that uh, gives everything without expectation of return. In the Old Testament, chesed is defined as mercy, loving kindness, uh, uh, tender kindness. Um, so oftentimes when we see that, that's what we're looking at. So he's saying, I'm going to sing of that. I'm going to sing about that aspect of God. That there <clears throat> is something within the character of God. According to 1 John chapter 4, the Bible lays out for us that God is love. And sometimes we want to sell the love of God as some type of sloppy agape. And, and that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that God just is okay with whatever you do. However you live, whatever you think, anything goes. The agape of God, the hesed of God, the, the love of God is a love that was willing to condescend from heaven to earth. It is a love that was willing to put on the confines of the flesh. To come in the likeness of man. To make himself obedient to uh, what confined him in his humanity. Though he doesn't uh, surrender being God, he certainly limits himself as he walks in flesh. Uh, the, the concept in theological terms is called the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, that he is fully God and fully man. That is the love of God. That God was willing to do that, to bridge the gap. Because there's not a chance, as we look through the Old Testament, what we discover, even as we look at this story, what we discover is that the nation of Israel knew what was required, but were unable to fulfill it. Unable to accomplish it in and of themselves. Captivity after captivity, uh, struggle after struggle, king after king, sometimes better, sometimes worse. But ultimately, all the way through, they were in need of a savior. Of a king. The Old Testament talked of a coming prophet that God would require the people to listen to everything he said and to do everything that he said. Became a synonymous term uh, with the word Mashiach, Messiah, the prince that, that God is, is sending or bringing. And so he's saying here, I'm going to sing of the love and the mercies of God forever because the concept. Uh, of God's loving kindness was seen in the Old Testament at God's willingness to cover their failure. To cover their failure. To, to forgive and restore 
and work through again, and ultimately is going to be seen in Messiah himself. It says, with my mouth, I will make known all your faithfulness to all generations. That God keeps his promises, that he's faithful, that he does what he says he's going to do. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heaven. So it's, he's building the concept of this kingdom, this, this forever kingdom where God reigns as king which was God's ultimate design and desire for his people, that he would be their king. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So now we we are rehearsing the promise that God gave to David, that God selected someone out of the, the children of Israel to say, yeah, this is the one. This is the guy that, that I want to use. In fact, Scripture tells us in 1 Kings um, chapter 9, about verse 4, it says, uh, it, God is talking to Jedediah, Solomon, and he says this, Now if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then... Will I establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, like I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity Upon them, so we see in the scripture God's promise to, to to David. There's going to be a house. This is the promise uh, as he rehearses it to Solomon, his son, and lays out that idea. Same concept as he lays out with David. David says, "God, I want to build you a house." God says, "No, David, I'm going to build you a house." And the promise in that is that God's going to establish the throne forever because He's going to establish it through a coming king. But a future king, somebody that's able to put the word of God into the hearts of, of his people. No longer will I write the word on, on stone and give it to you to read. I'm going to write it on the fleshy tablets of your heart. I'll put it inside. These are the promises that are laid out, but left unfulfilled. So he picks David. And he says, your seed I will establish forever. Your seed. The seed of David. There will be a king from the line of David that reigns forever and ever. He will build up the throne for all generations. Now, verse 5. And the heavens will praise your wonders. So now you have the throne of David being elevated. God choosing David. He picks a man out of Israel. He exalts him. And now he talks about the throne above the throne. The king above the king. 
the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's laying out for us here. He says, And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. This praise from heaven. For who in the heavens can be compared to Yahweh, to Jehovah? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? Who is like him? It's it's this scene. So God chooses David, exalts him, makes a promise for a kingdom forever. Then we back up and we look at the throne room of heaven. And there's all this praise. Angels glorifying and honoring God who is who is doing this amazing work in the lives of his people. In verse 8 he says, Oh, Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you? Again, Yahweh, the covenantal name of God. Oh, Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. His trustworthiness. That He is true. You rule the raging sea when its waves rise. You still them. So we're talking about Almighty God, Jehovah, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, proper name of God. And when He's describing, when the angels are describing glorifying God, they talk about how mighty He is, how powerful He is, all that He's able to do. And then He gives a little specific nugget right you're able to calm the waves of the sea you're able to speak and make them calm you have control over that which in their mind is uncontrollable psalm 89 says that jehovah yahweh god almighty can still the sea that reminds you of any other story we see in the new testament How about Jesus with the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee? Big storm comes up. They're freaking out. Don't you care? We're going to be destroyed. Jesus stands up and speaks a word. Peace be still. And immediately the water is still. The waves stop. The wind stops. According to Psalm 89, the only person who can do that is Jehovah. His almighty God that shows power. You remember... The disciples kind of freak out. You remember, they're like, oh, whoa, who is this? Who speaks? And the waves and the wind is able to stop. You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Verse 10, you have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. Rahab is is a symbol in the Old Testament of Egypt. So he's rehearsing. You have power over nature, over the sea. You have power over nations. Egypt. Remember Egypt? The children of Israel were in Egypt. The one thing that God points to over and over again with the children of Israel is his deliverance from bondage. That he brought them out of the the, uh, bondage they were in in Egypt. That he set them free. That he led them onto the exodus. That he made them his people. If you remember, when that occurs, as soon as that act of redemption occurs, God institutes a covenant, right? They go from Exodus, they come to Mount Sinai, outside Mount Sinai, God gives them what? The old covenant. He gives them the Ten Commandments, He gives them the law, He gives them the the plans for the tabernacle, He gives them the sacrificial system for their failures, He lays out for them... His basic requirements for them as a people. A great act of redemption followed by the giving of the Old Covenant. When the Old Testament ends, does it end with the fulfillment of the story it's telling? 
It doesn't. The Old Testament ends with a curse and an expectancy of looking to a coming king. Then when Jesus comes on the scene, what happens? A great act of redemption. Followed by what? A new covenant. The new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The same way the old covenant was ushered in after a great act of redemption, the new covenant is ushered in after a great act of redemption. The New Testament finishes the story of the old. It brings about the fulfillment of the promises that God laid out. And so as they look here, David is set on the throne, the promise of a future king that will reign forever, God being glorified in the heavens, people rejoicing on the earth, everything seems to be in a good place. He's broken Rahab. He has power over the nations. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm, he says. Verse 11, the heavens are yours and the earth also is yours. How much of it is God's? All of it's God's. The world and its fullness, you have founded them. It all belongs to Him. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, rejoice in your name. Two mighty mountains. Uh, Tabor and Hermon means strong and mighty. Two mighty mountains in Israel. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. And high is your right hand. And as they speaking about God, they move on to His moral majesty. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. That God does what is right. It cracks me up every once in a while you hear people talk about morality. Sometimes they talk about the morality of the Bible. Events that occur in the Bible that they deem as being immoral. But they have no foundation for that stated morality. Other than their own reasoning. And I don't know that their own reasoning is an ultimate authority. You could say, mankind, social people come together, can't live destroying one another. So that's the code for morality. Look, the, the only significant foundation for a moral code is the designer is design why is it bad because god says bad why is it good because god said it's good if i come up in a world with no creator no god everyone does what is right in his own mind there's no foundation for morality you say it's wrong i say it's right which one decides the one who's strongest, right? The one who's strongest. Does might make right? Not all the time, does it? If might makes right, then Germany was okay and we shouldn't be upset about what they did to the Jews. If might makes right, all the people that have been slaughtered in the Sudan, who cares? It was those who were in power who did it. There's no justification for morality apart from God. No justification. No God, no morality. Out the window. The, the moral majesty of God, it says that His throne is built on righteousness and justice. These are the foundations, it says, of His throne. It says, mercy and truth go before your face. So you have righteousness and justice, mercy and truth. 
those things which are always right, those things which are always just, that which is loving, that which is true. How do we know what is true? Who is the very embodiment of truth? Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, right? The Bible tells in Colossians that all the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. So how do we connect to truth, wisdom, and knowledge? In relationship with Jesus Christ. In a relationship with the Lord. This is how we can know the things that we know. Because, folks, in a, in a, in a world that has a creator and design... You can say that you have to follow the laws of logic. Because the, the, the world shows design. It's supposed to fall in nature. Everybody can do mathematics, right? One plus one is two. The problem is, without God, you can't account for why one plus one is two. Just because it is. Epistemologically, we can't bring all those pieces together. Where does it find all its foundation? In the throne of God. In the throne of God, all those pieces come together. They all make sense. They all find their fulfillment. That's why the Bible says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because apart from God, you can't justify anything. You can't know anything apart from beginning with Him. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O oh Lord, in the light of your countenance. The joyful sound. It's the idea of remembering. Remember the day when, when David brought the ark into Jerusalem and, and all the people were praising the Lord and David danced with all his might and, and there's this great celebration? That's what he's referring to. He said, man, blessed are the people that know, who have experienced that joyful sound, that ultimate praise of, of being in the right place at the right time in their relationship with God. Who walk, O oh Lord, in the light of your countenance. Who are with you. With God as he goes where he goes and does what he does. For in your name they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. And in your favor our horn is exalted. A horn was a symbol of power. So in you... In you, our power is exalted. We only have power because God has power. It's not our power, it's not our strength, it's not our majesty, it's not our glory, it's God's. It's His glory, His power, His majesty. It's all founded in Him. For our shield belongs to the Lord. Who's our protection? Who's our protection? God's our protection. Now, if God doesn't bring the shield, if God doesn't shield us if god doesn't give that protection then what have we well we don't have protection it's god who does the the work it's god who holds the shield and our king to the holy one of israel and our king to the holy one our shield belongs to the lord and our king who else beside the shield protection the king the king belongs to god and his holy one King belongs to God. He is the leadership that God establishes, that God puts together. So we cling to and we hold to that reality that God is the foundation of rulership in our world. And ultimately, He's the true King.
the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So then he talks. He points directly to David. Look, then you spoke in a vision to your holy ones. That's a, that's a description of the angels. He says to the angels, hey, <clears throat> I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. First Samuel thirteen fourteen. As Samuel is standing before Saul, he says, The Lord is looking for someone, a ruler, that is a man after his own heart. So God chooses a man out of the nation. He focuses in on David. He says, I have found my servant, David. And what does he do with him? First, my holy oil, I have anointed him. The holy oil in the scripture is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, they are ready. They're equipped for service. Either to serve as king, to serve as prophet, to serve in whatever capacity. Because all that we do in service is according to his strength, in his power. So first, he he bestows upon him that oil, the anointing, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21. With whom my hand shall be established. The stability of the ruler, the stability of the servant of God, hinges on God's hand being with him. He establishes. That word establish means to make stable. To make to stand. It's God who gives us the ability to be able to stand. My hand uh, shall be established. The the stability. My arm shall strengthen him. So God gives stability and strength. The hand of God helps him to stand. The arm of God gives him strength. Able to be and to do the things that God's calling him to. Then God gives him wisdom. Look at 22. The enemy shall not outwit him. So God gives him wisdom, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. So God is watching over him. He's given him wisdom, stability, and strength. Then in verse 23, he says, I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. So he's going to preserve and protect him. He's going to preserve and protect him. So he gives him stability, strength, wisdom. He preserves and he protects. This is what God is, is and did do for David the king. And then he says, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And my name, and in my name, his horn shall be exalted. So because of his relationship, that concept of doing things in his name. Remember in scripture, Jesus said, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he'll do it. It's the same concept here. In my name, according to his name. In other words, doing that which lines up with his character. And in my name. As he walks in my character, then his horn will be exalted. As long as David was walking in obedience with the Lord, he was an exalted king. God's hand, his blessing, his, all those things were with him. As long as he was walking in his name. As long as he was there in that place, in his presence. And that is the same thing that Jesus is calling us to. When we pray, we pray according to his name. In line with his character. We pray like Jesus prayed. Lots of prayers we can go back to, right? In the scripture to show us kind of a a, a way that Jesus prayed. Probably the best one, John chapter 17, the high priestly prayers. He prays 
for you and I on His way to the cross. As we look at these things, this is what He's talking about. My name, His horn, His power will be exalted. And I will set His hand over the sea. So now we see the power over that which is unconquerable. Remember the sea was the place for the Jewish mind where all the crazy evil things come from. So God's saying, through my power, I'm going to give, I'm going to put his hand over the sea. I'm going to hold him. I'm going to make him stable. I'm going to preserve and protect him. I'm going to give him the power that he needs to rule the nation and to protect the people. And his right hand over the rivers. And he shall cry to me. These are the words that would be in David's uh, mouth. You are my father. It's interesting. I just want you to listen to these words and think if they might also apply to anyone else that the Bible tells us about. You are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And my mercy I will keep for him forever. And my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever. And his thrones like the days of heaven. So as he's looking, he's saying, here's the words that are going to be in David's mouth. He's going to call God his father. He's going to cry out to God, my God and the rock of my salvation. All things that we see David saying. And then he says, I'll make him my firstborn. Well, look, the firstborn is a title. It doesn't mean first one born. Anybody know what order David came in his family? Yeah, dead last. Wasn't even invited when Samuel was coming to choose the king, right? They, they just brought out all the other boys and left him in the field with the sheep. Surely God's not going to pick the youngest. But what does God say about David? I will make him my firstborn, the preeminent one. I will make him preeminent. The very same thing that he's going to say to his son, Jesus Christ, who is able to call God my father. Who is called the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn of the dead. And what's this next phrase in verse 27? The highest of the kings of the earth. Or the king of kings. Lord of lords. Not only preeminent as in firstborn, the one who receives the inheritance. Who got the inheritance? Firstborn, right? Remember, he got a double portion. He got the inheritance. We just talked earlier, what does what belongs to God? All of what? Heaven and earth. So all of it belongs to Him. Right? So when we come to Matthew chapter 28, and we come to the ascension as Jesus goes up into heaven, and we hear, we hear Him say, All authority has been given to me where? In heaven and on the earth. Go therefore, what's he saying? This is mine. I'm the firstborn. I am the heir. What does the scripture call us? 
heirs and joint heirs together with Jesus Christ. Who gets the double portion? Yeah, he does. We're just happy to have our names on the list, right? We're just happy to have our names on the list. But to him, so what is it that God says to him in, in uh, Daniel? He says, sit here till I make the, your enemies your footstool. Here, sit here. Where was he sitting? Well, he comes up to the Ancient of Days. Read Daniel. He comes up to the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days, God Almighty says, sit here. Where, what do you think he's talking about? Sit on this throne. Sit on that throne till I make all your enemies your footstool. Remember, there is a coming king, king of kings, lord of lords, a fulfillment of all the promises laid out in the Old Testament. Right here, they're pointing them all to David. But I just want you to see that there's a greater than David that's involved, that is also called one who his mercy will keep him forever. The hased of God, the love of God. And his covenant, what did I tell you, Jesus? A great act of redemption is followed by the establishment of a new covenant. A, a great act of redemption in the Old Testament was followed by what? It was a new covenant at the time, right? And when it's all laid out for us and we put it together in this book, we call it the Old Testament or covenant and the new covenant. The Old Testament shines light on the promise of the coming new and the New Covenant or New Testament tells us the story of what was accomplished in the redemption of Jesus Christ, fulfilling all those things that had gone before in the Old Testament. One completes the other. Well, he goes on to say, now in verse 30, If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judges, remember we read that scripture, and if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. So God says, I'm going to correct them. I'm going to correct them. The Bible says, this is what every parent does for their child. If you love them. The Bible says, if you don't love your child, you don't discipline them. But if you love them, you discipline them. You give them guidelines. You give them direction. You give them Lines they're not supposed to cross. You lay that out for them. This is exactly what God's saying. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not take from him. My chesed. My everlasting love. God says, just because I discipline you doesn't mean I don't love you. Isn't that true for a parent? For I, I know there are always exceptions among mankind. Because there's no... Uh, extent or end of the evil that man can do but a an, an average parent doesn't discipline their children because they hate them they discipline because they love them because if we correct it when it's little it's not 8 to 10 upstate right 8 to 10 upstate's a drag but when they're three, it's just a swat on the butt. Yeah, you survive that nine out of ten times. Eight to ten upstate, you might not make it through that. So we, we, because we love, we correct when it's small, when it's little. He says, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. I won't break my promises, God says. 
My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. I won't change. If I made a promise, I'll keep it. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. What did he say to David? David, you can't build me a house. I'm going to build you one. And the house I build for you will last forever. So once God establishes that house, it's going to go forever. And I'm sure David thought that meant that him and his kids and his kids' kids and his kids' kids' kids were always going to be kings in Israel. But that's not what God meant. God said, I will build you a house. He didn't say, your house is here right now. And he told his kids over and over again, as long as you're faithful and walk with me, I'll take care of you. But if you don't, I'm going to put you out of the land. But it doesn't change the love he had for them. And it doesn't change the promise that he made to David. He says in verse 36, his seed shall endure forever. His seed. Singular, 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 his seed. There's a line, there's a promise through the line of David. There's a coming king, a coming promise, a fulfillment of all that God lays out. His throne will be like the sun before me. Like the sun, bright. And it shall be established forever like the moon. And all the heavens, even like the faithful witness in the sky. The sun always rises. The moon always uh, comes out at night. As faithful as they are, God says, my promise will be that faithful. But then the writer of the psalm, talking about the majesty and the glory of God, his moral goodness, the fact that he established David, that he promised the throne forever. Now look what he says. But you have cast us off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. So he's, he is now in the exile. We're past David. A couple hundred years past David. All things were, were going along relatively well. And then all this after Solomon divided kingdom north and south. Disobedient, unwillingness to follow God. Unwillingness to serve Him. God says, I'll be faithful to my promise. But if you disobey, like a good father, I'm going to discipline you. The north goes into captivity 150 years earlier to Assyria. The south goes into captivity 150 years later to Babylon. And this psalm is written from there. God, you promised we'd have a king forever. But we're in Babylon in chains. You said you were always going to love us. But now we're in a hard place going through difficult times. And, and he, he is wanting to know, where are you? Where's the fulfillment of your promise? Where's the king? Where's the one who's going to carry us out to deal with all this? All who pass by on the way, they plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. He says, you have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of the sword and have not sustained him in the battle. You have made his glory cease, cast down his throne to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened, you have covered him with shame. So from the time of the fall of the children of Israel going into Babylon, there's no kingdom anymore. 
last king in Israel is a king named Jeconiah. And God had a word for Jeconiah. In the, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeconiah was a wicked king to the people of Israel. So in verse 24 of uh, chapter 22 in Jeremiah, he says this, As I live, says the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, I would pluck you off. God changed his name. What did I tell you his name was? Jeconiah, right? Oh, let me make it a little simpler for you. In the, in the Hebrew, there's no J. There's a Y, no J. So all the J's are Y's in the Hebrew. So it wouldn't have been Jeconiah. It would have been Yah-Kaniah. And the Yah, in the first part of Jeconiah's name, or the J-E in the first part of Jeconiah's name, is God. Yah is God. When you put Yah in someone's name, you're just adding God into the name of the person. Saying something about who he is. So Jeconiah, the part about Jeconiah that meant God has been removed from his name. Yah is gone. And God just calls him Coniah. I'm not with you, you're not with me. If you were a ring on my finger, he says, I'd take it off. He says, and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the hand of the Chaldeans, I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country. One where you were not born, and that's where you will die. But to the land to which they desire to return, there they shall not return. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised broken uh, idol or pottery? A vessel in which there is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants? And cast into a land that they do not know. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Last king. And not only is he the last king, God says nobody from his line will ever be king. Nobody through Jeconiah. It's the blood curse of Jeconiah. Zedekiah sits on the throne for a little while. Rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, and ultimately the whole of Israel is destroyed as a result. So God said, look, when this all happens, when that goes on, he told Solomon way back when, when this happens, I'm still going to discipline, but I won't stop loving you. Just because I discipline you doesn't mean I stop loving you. That was Jeremiah 22. What's it say in Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God says, I'm not doing this for your destruction. I'm doing this so you can live. It's easier to straighten it out now than somewhere further down the line. So God straightens it out and removes the king, and now there's no king. But there's a promise that David's throne will last forever. That it's going to be established. That it will go on and on and on forever. But God just laid a curse on Jeconiah and said, no more kings from you. 
And there is never another king from the line of David that sits on a throne from this point to today. No other kings of David. You have the Hasmonean dynasty and the Herodian dynasty. The Hasmonean dynasty starts with the Maccabees and goes through about four puppet kings that get set up at a variety of times during the, the revolts of the Maccabees around uh, just, just prior to the beginning of the New Testament, around I think I want to say around 157 B.C., something like that. And then after them you have the Herodian. We've all heard of the Herods, right? The Herods take us up to the time of Christ. But no king of David. And so the writer is saying, God, you promised us this king that would last forever. You promised us that, that things would be good, but now we have shame. Destruction of the, of the temple, right? There's no temple anymore. The destruction of the, the nation. This is at Babylon. All this has been torn down. Where's our king? That's what he's asking. He says, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. The guy who's writing this says, man, I'm getting old. Are you going to fulfill your promise in my lifetime? Remember how short the time is. For what futility uh, have you created all the children of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Man, can you set us free from this battle, from this fight? How fleeting and how futile life is, God. What are you going to do? And in verse 49, it says, Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses? God, you said you would never stop loving us. But there's no king. And we're slaves in Babylon. Which you swore to David in your truth. God can't lie. So he's saying, Lord, I know this is true. And you said you'd love us, but it don't feel like that right now. This doesn't feel like love. Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants. How I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. We are constantly in battle in our chains, despised and rejected, hated by all men. Where are you, God? And look how he ends. Blessed be the Lord forever forevermore amen amen now if that was the end of the old testament and it's pretty close to ending like that feel free to read the end of malachi sometime what is it that he's looking for something else right this is not the end 400 years of silence what's he looking for there's something else coming there's the expectancy that God's going to do something. That he's going to fulfill the promise that he gave to David. That this is all going to come about. How's that all going to happen? This ought to sound familiar. And the angel said to her, Mary, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Remember I told you at the beginning? In Hebrew, his name is Yahshua. Yahshua. What's that first part? That's God, right? God. What's Shua? Salvation. God's salvation. 
He will be great and he'll be called son of the highest. Remember the things that God said, I'm going to call you my firstborn, the highest, the king of kings, Lord of lords. He will be called son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of who? His father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The fulfillment. See, the Old Testament ends. Just like this psalm talks about, God, we, I don't understand. I know you said you're going to love us, and I know you're true, so I know your promises are going to come, but, but I'm becoming an old man, and I don't see it yet fulfilled in my lifetime. God, what's going to happen? What's going on? And, and all the while, God had a purpose and a plan. The king was coming. The king came. The king sat on the throne in the heavens beside the Ancient of Days. And he said, if I go, what did he promise to do? I will come back. The once and future king. Jesus, the Christ. The son of the living God. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray.